my name is Eric Landstrom, and this is the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Today we're hopping into the time machine to head back to March of 2000 and all the happenings in WCW. And there are happenings this month. To join me in what promises to be a news-heavy show is first Pete Kimber. Pete, how are you? I'm very good, Eric. All good. I'm pleasure to be here and back on the show. Thanks for uh, stepping in in a time of most need. Um, <laughs> and, no second, and second, Billy Johnson, the car hasn't left the garage yet. It's still time to hop out. Uh, can, can I hop out, please? Can I just go? Oh, too late. Sorry. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> the, flux, the flux capacitor is firing. Uh, three volumes of the show this busy month. Yes, we're back to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, after a change in bookers in the last couple of months, <laughs> go figure. Uh, the WWF show will discuss the lead up to WrestleMania 2000 over on the ECW show. Uh, Living Dangerously is the focus. Uh, and here in WCW, lots of things to get here in Atlanta. Uh, Billy, you've got some headlines. I do have some headlines. So up first is WCW versus the world. Sure. Good news, WCW toured Europe mid-month, generating full houses, large gates, okay, and a lot of bad publicity. First, the good. Shows in Birmingham, London, and Manchester. Any of you guys go to these shows? Nope. <laughs> sadly not, sadly not. Well, almost 40,000, 38,600 of your uh, country people did, paying in at least $1 million in gate revenue over these shows. Okay, <laughs> now the bad. This is a much longer section. Night one in Birmingham saw an undercard featuring Norman Smiley, David Flair, Brian Nobbs, and Jim Duggan. Bret Hart made a mid-show appearance. Lex Luger defeated Vampiro in the semi-main. And for the main event, yes, Michael Buffer was there. You guys missed that. Announced a match between, get this, two old rivals. Which, based on television, which we didn't really cover, would lead you to assume that it would be Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. That's worth my, uh, you know, 20 bucks at the door. Instead, those in attendance got a main event of Ric Flair versus Kurt Hennig. <laughs> and to make matters worse, uh, Buff Bagwell closed the show saying, you didn't get Goldberg and you didn't get Sting, but you got Buff and he's the stuff. That's at least what's, what was reported. Uh, Kevin Nash was on the program, uh, but did not appear. Um, the main event the next night in London was the Mama Lukes versus the Harris Brothers. And... Uh, Viewers of the weekly WCW shows will note the company made no mention of this tour and the massive the gates they achieved on television. Who's next and when? Yes, with, with some spirit there, sir. The saga of <laughs> Goldberg, uh, which is probably the most compelling storyline in WCW right now, uh, at least to begin the month began the month with reports Goldberg was not returning calls from WCW management, which at the time was comprised of Bill Bush, J.J. Dillon, and Kevin Sullivan. Goldberg was said to be disinterested in working with that management team. For what it's worth, Lex Luger was also loudly critical of J.J. Dillon about the European tour. For what it's worth, Bill Goldberg uh, has also been holding up the return of Eric Bischoff. Stay tuned. Reports earlier in the month were that Goldberg would return to WCW before Spring Stampede next month and defeat Jeff Jarrett or somebody for the big gold belt. Goldberg would then pivot to feud with either Sid or Hogan or Steiner or somebody. Nobody knows. Um, just remember that by the end of the month, uh, Goldberg's return was delayed again uh, because Bill doesn't like Eric Bischoff. 
Okay, a couple more uh, news and notes here. Gene Okerlund uh, was arrested middle of the month on DUI charges. Uh, he was alleged to have run a red light, uh, and he almost struck a police car. I uh, rumor was that he yelled, "Put that cigarette out!" and lost his face. <laughs> anyway, you guys, we got to get the levity in while we, while we while, you know, we got to hook the listeners because we got a lot of stuff to talk about. All right, some returns. The best part: DDP. Returned on the much 27th Nitro uh, to hawk a new movie ready to rumble, uh, which is uh, which he compared to Wayne's World, but with muscles. Um, DDP's return was uh, one of several notable additions to WCW this month. Scott Steiner and Sting returned to be featured at Uncensored. Sting had been holding out as a regular TV uh, participant due to disagreements and trust with the Bill Bush regime, uh, and Steiner and WCW had been cross-suing each other. Uh Chris Candido debuted at Uncensored and has been featured in the Cruiserweight division. And yes, Chris Lacey, if you're listening, they're already teasing Tammy's debut as well. Ratings update, or do we have to tell you? Oh, boy. So Thunder on March 1 was reported to draw a 2.0 rating, which was an all-low for the program. Saturday night, remember that is still happening. I don't think we've covered it since the Bambri years. Uh, drew its lowest rating of all time earlier uh this month uh, february's pay-per-view uh, drew the lowest buy rate ever for a wcw pay-per-view this month's uncensored pay-per-view is expected to surpass that mark but the numbers are not out as record as of uh, recording time though initial projections are grim now these are just initial projections but in last uh, last February, February 1999, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair did a pay-per-view main event, got a 1.1 buy rate, which translates to about 250,000 ha- households. Some projections have uncensored 2,000 with the same main event doing as low as a 0.3, or as you gentlemen call it, a not 0.3. Do I have that right? That is correct. Or Spot, on. Po- Spot on. It sounds shitty no matter how you slice it. Uh, that would be about 60,000 households or a 75% drop-off in business for the same main event in 13 months. Carnage of a different sort. Yes, lastly, uh, our leaping off point for part one of the show, WCW Uncensored occurred on March 19 in Miami, Florida with an estimated 5,000 in attendance. Over half of them paid. Um, in the co-main events, uh, Sid defeated Jeff Jarrett to retain the WCW championship, and Hulk Hogan defeated Ric Flair in a Yapapai Indian strap match. There were also wins for Sting, Dustin Rhodes, the Harris Brothers, Vampiro, Kidman and Booker, Brian Nobbs, Bam Bam Bigelow, Norman Smiley, and The Artist. For those counting, that's 11 matches, and only the Hogan-Flair match went longer than 10 minutes. Gentlemen, we'll pause there. Uh, just to take a quick uh, survey, if any of you have any thoughts about the, we'll call news part one, before we dive into the 19th of uh, March and the happenings in the week that followed. You mentioned sort of the ratings and what they are doing at the moment in, obviously in America, but clearly in the UK where me and Billy are right now, there's obviously a, a first and a need for for wrestling and, and the, the Fed and WCW are very popular over here. So, I'm surprised they didn't start taking any shots around the fact that they can draw, you know, over 40,000 people to to a few nights in London and Manchester with a, a Marmaluke's main event thrown in there as well. So that's basically incredible. And I'm surprised I didn't actually mention it whatsoever during the month. Crazy. It, it, it kind of shows that 
it's not necessarily the creative that's the problem right now. It's the business and the marketing and whoever's calling the shots backstage, I think, um, because clearly they're they're generating revenue in other places. Uh, it reminds me of when the Fed, you know, whenever times get tight, they'll do more Canadian and European tours too. Same thing. There's clearly a drawing power there. But yeah, not to mention it on television, like how rinky-dink small time do you want to seem? Uh, Pete, anything off the back of that before we head into Uncensored? No, no, all good. All right. Pete's saving his energy, wisely so. Uh, and it is... Um, <laughs> Deep breaths. Yeah, we've got to find humor where it comes, um, and not in the macabre kind. It is Uncensored 2000 from Miami, Florida. You have the results. I do indeed, yes. The artist with Paisley defeated Psychosis with Juventud Guerrero to retain the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Norman Smiley and the Kiss Demon defeated Lane and Rave, or XS, I think they're called, aren't they, in a tag team match. Bam Bam Bigelow defeated the War by Disqualification. Brian Nobbs defeated Three Count in a hardcore match to retain the WCW Hardcore Championship. Billy Kidman and Booker T, with the lovely Tory Wilson, defeated Harlem Heat 2000. I'm going to call him Fat T and Stevie Ray, <laughs> with Cash and Jay Biggs. Um, Vampiro defeated Fit Thinley in a Falls Count Anywhere match. The Harris brothers, Ron and Don, defeated the Marmalukes with Disco Inferno, uh, again to retain the WCW World Tag Team Championships. Dustin Rose defeated Terry Funk in a bull rope match. Sting defeated Lex Luger, or the total package with Elizabeth, in a lumberjack match. And Sid Vicious retained his WCW World Heavyweight Championship against Jeff Jarrett. And, of course, Hulk Hogan defeated Ric Flair in a Yappa Papi Indian strap match. You know, we used to read the World War Three entrance, and it was shorter than these WCW match cards lately. Um, deep breath, deep breath. Whew. Billy, what were your thoughts on this? <laughs> uh, oh, do you really want to know what my thoughts are on this show? <laughs> I'm sure we uh, Okay, uh, this show. Well, it was uh, not one of WCW's best. Um, <laughs> this was a tough show to watch. Um, you will hear some of my thoughts and opinions in a little while on how bad I really thought this was. Pete, uh, anything different? I kind of went in in a very positive vein. You know, let's think about March, WCW. Let's, you know, it's a bit of a new regime on our show as well. And let's get this this going. And it just wore away as, as the whole night went on. Um, I've seen worse, um, which is something I can say. Um, but yeah, there's there's all sorts of, of stuff on here that's just, wow, it's some... There's, there's some some good-ish, but most of it's it's, it's a hard time. You, you can see why something needed to happen, I suppose. So, yeah, obviously we are going to get into it. So. We what did you back... think, Eric? Oh. <laughs> what did you think? Oh, oh yeah, I'm not going to get out of that one, am I? Um, no, you're not. <laughs> I thought that this show had some really entertaining moments when I forgot that I was watching something that I paid for. We're backstage with Lex Luger, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Sid, and Jeff Jarrett. They're really teeing him up here. And Tony Schiavone welcomes us. 
Saddle up for three hours of Mark Madden. And we open uh, with the artist formerly known as Prince Ayakea with Paisley against uh, Psychosis, who's out with Juventud Guerrera. They're not wearing their masks anymore. It's weird. Uh, after the bell rings to start the match, rock music hits, and it's Chris Candido making his way to the ring. Chris Candido gets on commentary and he confirms the, quote, internet rumors. I love that he's doing this gimmick, guys. This is maybe the best part of the show now that I think about it. Uh, and says he's here to be the cruiserweight champion. He's going by the nickname Hard Knocks, K-N-O-X. And we're in the ring. Psychosis and Prince are having a sloppy match. Uh, Prince takes control with the tree of woe that slows the pace. He whiffs on a super kick. And yeah, Candido is pretty entertaining uh, on commentary. Outside the ring, Prince hammers Psychosis with ring steps. Uh, Psychosis looks Im- less impressive without his headgear, it must be said. Psychosis spends most of the match on the ground selling Prince's offense. Uh, finally, Psychosis hits a top rope Hurricane Rana for a two, followed by a front face buster. The crowd wakes up when Psychosis takes over, it should be noted, but it doesn't last long. On a pin attempt, Psychosis is distracted with Paisley and Juventude scrapping at ringside. Something goes wrong here. Psychosis stands up from a pinfall. I would assume Paisley and or Hoovy were out of position. In the cluster of things, Prince hits his jumping DDT for the three. Billy, thoughts on the match? God, uh, right. So (laughs) this was, as you rightly pointed out, Eric, it was very sloppy. um, And it got a little bit dull. There really wasn't much going on. Uh, I'm just not really behind this Prince, the artist character, the gimmick. I just don't really get what they're going for. Okay, yeah. Prince is now the artist formerly known as. Okay, that's something that you're doing. Uh, It's not a good look for him. I don't think it's going to get him any more over than he is. And unfortunately for Psychosis, you know, he's, he's not who he once was. Did we really need this on the card? Not really. It, it, it didn't need to be there. I think they just did it to sort of shoehorn uh, Chris Candino's coming back in. So, yeah, it was just a it was a bad start. Not a good start at all here. Pete? Yeah, I think we're hoping for more from a, a Cruiserweight Championship match to kind of maybe pop the crowd a little bit, get, the, get a bit of pace, and get a bit of action, some high-flying spots and stuff happening. But... I think Psychosis and at the same time, Juventude are somehow way out of their depth at the moment. I'm not quite sure what's going on with those two. Say no more. Um, the artist, again, like Billy, I don't quite get. I mean, Paisley's probably got the most charisma and the most it factor about those two. And we can all understand why that is. Um, but the end was just he was waiting for those two to finish their, dare I say, it, cat fight as Mark Madden kept screaming over the um, over the uh, the announcer there for some reason and then just stood there for a quite a while until um the artist got in position to do the uh, the top rope ddt so it just it just all fell away at the end and i don't know what they're doing with this guy and why he continues to win it's just they need to maybe chris candido coming in will freshen up maybe he'll get a, a title shot pretty soon and become champion and maybe it goes to a different direction but yeah it's just a bit stale now isn't it for me so uh Candido taking the L on Thunder uh, that followed this show the following week uh, after getting hit with one of Prince's uh, flying DDTs was not what you had in mind for him? Oh, clearly not then. Anyway, sorry to ruin that 
brief glimmer of positivity. No, I think I think you're right. I think they're bringing Chris Candido. They've got to do something with this division because we've gone from in 1993, four or five opening shows. Aside from your odd, you know, good Pillman, Johnny B. Bad, Diamond Dallas Page, we started these shows with just the worst matches and then they bring in these cruiserweights and you get Malenko and Dragon and Mysterio and Guerrero and all of a sudden you're having four five star matches month after month after month to open the show I mean it was WCW's contemporary legacy not it was the NWO but it was also the 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 cruiserweights and now here we are only two years after Eddie and Ray were having bangers at, at Halloween Havoc that we're getting this as the cruiserweight division. We're getting clearly unmotivated luchadors who have been stripped of their identity. And we're getting Prince Ayukea who doesn't look like a cruiserweight. He doesn't wrestle like a cruiserweight and he's the shits and he's holding the cruiserweight title. Um, I just think this whole division is in shambles and it's, it's embarrassing to watch somebody like Prince Ayukea wrestle in the same division and hold the same title that like Dean Malenko and the Ultimo Dragon did. It's atrocious. Uh, backstage, uh, Bam Bam says he taught the wall everything the wall knows about wrestling, but not everything he knows. Bam Bam promises to take out the wall. And Miss Hancock joins us as Lane and Rave, yes, going by XS, come to the ring. And it's Norman Smiley and the Demon versus excess lane and rave they're straight now screaming norman gets the casket entrance and he's got the face paint and that was kind of fun uh where this goes off the rails is tony shivani who's always been a straight you know play-by-play guy creepily flirts with miss hancock i don't want tony shivani flirting with 20 year old women it's disgusting they do some comedy bullshit to start and the demon immediately takes over on lane Demon's fake blood is everywhere. The crowd is super hot for Norman, it must be said. Then there's an atrocious botched double clothesline. The hot tag to Norman, but the heels take over. Uh, Hancock is also terrible on commentary. Norman taps Lane to win the match, kind of out of nowhere. And then Excess abduct Hancock after the match, but the faces rescue her. And they all dance. That's what happened. Pete, your turn. Uh comedy would be where i would sit this one it wasn't inoffensive but this felt like sort of uh, dare i say manchester house show where you've got the crowd involved there's a bit of fun going on it's very light-hearted isn't it norman smiley is i don't know if he i mean the wiggle is well i don't know quite what to say about the wiggle but <laughs> i felt a bit uncomfortable watching it all the time i don't know what it is I just don't, he doesn't seem like he quite can do it as i think he wants to do it but yeah, and the kiss demon, I mean, Jesus. The screaming demons, uh, I mean, it's just <sighs> scary times and excess. I think, I don't know what's happening with those two. They had that, obviously, the original gimmick. Now they've changed and, you know, Miss Hancock affiliation, not blaming her for losing when she sat basically saying pretty much nothing on commentary. It was just comedy and a chance for that, I think, for a bit of interaction with the crowd, maybe in a bit of fun. So, in that sense, I can't really, you know, shit all over it. I think it was okay. Billy? I'm going to shit all over it. Um, sorry, lads. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I got bored after 20 seconds. It was a house show style match. Okay, the crowd sort of enjoyed it, but I didn't. And uh, nothing match. So I'm just going to say, can we move on? <laughs> 
Yes, check out Thunder earlier in the month when the demon's casket wouldn't open. Um, it was directly out of Spinal Tap. Um, and we'll go straight to Bam Bam Bigelow versus The Wall. Now we get a recap of The Wall putting Flair, Crowbar, and Bam Bam through tables. Just really quick, guys. Have you have you seen these wall spots on, on Nitro and Thunder? Not required viewing for the show, but if you have, I think this has been kind of the, some of the highlights of the television. Yeah, this guy's been been built superbly well, and he's in the third match on the card. I just he's dominant, isn't he? He's he's destructive. He's causing lots of lots of issues for everybody. So yeah, I think he's been sort of MVP for the last sort of what month, maybe. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, they've <laughs> definitely been booking him strong, haven't they? Which is a good thing because uh, WCW needs some fresh acts on top, and if this guy is getting over, then why not go with it? It would be a real shame if the wall were to come crashing down and it would hurt inside. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, foreshadowing. I am an English major. We get clubbing fists from Bam Bam Bigelow to start and a really stiff clothesline from the wall. Uh, Bigelow hits a massive headbutt early but only gets a two. And must be said, this is the best match so far. Really good big man match. Bigelow is leading the wall much like he did Lawrence Taylor. Uh, the wall is very green, and but they're doing a good job. The wall closed lines, he and Bam Bam to the outside, and then they brawl to the stage area where the wall chokeslams Bigelow through a tech table with sparks and all. Not quite Royal Rumble 99, but you get the idea. And that nets wall the disqualification in a pay-per-view called Uncensored. Um, David and Crowbar hit the ring. And try to or hit the area, I guess, and try and save Bam Bam, who's being tended to by EMTs. The wall and crowbar disappear backstage, and they've climbed the scaffolding. And then the wall choke slams crowbar off the set scaffolding down through the stage. That was an amazing spot. Looked painful as hell. Crowbar gets the full ambulance treatment, and the wall gets put over as strong as anybody's been put over as strong since Goldberg, in my opinion. Uh, Billy, we had good things to say about this match with Bam Bam. It was only three minutes. It was three enjoyable minutes. Now, don't get me wrong. We had some two stinkers to start the show, so this was going okay. But then they did the finish, and it was kind of like, oh, okay, uh, this is supposed to be uncensored, but obviously they've done... DQ finishes before on Uncensored, but still, uh, I'm really not high on the finish that they decided to go for. Could they just not have done more of a clean finish here? And the Sparks and Pyrotechnic was well, it was pretty looked pretty damn cheap that finish. Uh, not not good at all. Uh, again, you know, I'm, I always when I come on this show um, and I review a Bam Bam Bigelow match, I always talk about how sad it is how far he's fallen and you know, over the last five years you know he's gone from wrestlemania main eventer and now he's in this spot doing nothing but you know what i think he kind of deserves this spot because he's just it's he seems to have lost a step or two or four or six <laughs> and it's it's unfortunate uh, but they're, they're doing good things with the wall so let's carry on and positivity with the wall until you, like you said, Eric, until unfortunately he's going to meet the, uh, the big bull bastard as he was uh, once referred to on this show. The yellow boot of doom is in his future. Pete. Um, well, they're definitely uh, 
building the wall, dare I say. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, hey. um, thank you. Um, I think it could have gone, I would have happily gone a good six minutes maybe, just to, but I think they were maybe protecting the wall because as you said, Eric, there's a lot of green around this guy, but he can do the big moves. He's kind of a, you know, if you put Mike Awesome with probably half the skill, this is probably where the wall is because Mike Awesome could obviously do all sorts of flying around the ring and over the top rope, but he's a real impact kind of guy. And this guy's got a similar impact with, you know, the choke slam and the stuff he can do. Bam Bam, I think he could have carried him better, but I think Billy's right. He's not the Bam Bam of old um, who was cartwheeling around rings back in the day and doing all the things he could do. He's he's lost a, a definitely a few steps, clearly. Um, the finish was weird because Bam Bam gets put through a table from from it, from the, uh, the chokeslam, and sold it like, you know, it's a stretcher job. I mean, really, Bam Bam's been through probably, what, a thousand tables in his career and probably got up and carried on. And I think he's gone through a ring with with Taz, I believe, in ECW. He's fallen through a ring with him and got back up again and carried on. And, and the then, ramp, too. And the ramp, that's right. And then he obviously got up and carried on. This is like, you know, he gets a, a flimsy table and a TV sort of sparks and suddenly Bam Bam's got to be taken away by the EMTs, uh, which is a bit made him look a bit weak, I suppose. Whereas Crow gets the the biggest uh, pop of the night and a great scene and a great spectacle. I'm not sure it was 20 feet or 15 feet that Shivoni seemed to think it was, but it was still damn impressive and could have been quite dangerous. So he landed it quite well. So fair play to them. Great spot. And, you know, the wall is only going one way, but unfortunately we probably know where he's going in the end. But for right now, it's all good stuff. Yeah, I would have really liked for them to just have a good five-minute get over match where the wall puts over Bigelow relatively clean. His deal is he puts, he choke slams people through tables. So you work that in and then you can still do the spot at the end. I thought the finish was kind of lame. It was just kind of a ground level choke slam too. Bigelow kind of had to do most of the work. Um, and then, yeah, then he stretched off and then they do the crazy spot where it's an upward angle up on the scaffolding, which yeah, you're probably right. It probably wasn't more than 12 or 15 feet still high, but it could pull off 20 or 25 just by the way it was shot. And they pulled it off. Well, it was a good spot. And it, 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 it's almost like they were trying to set up what the angle that happened in a couple of weeks on the 27th that we'll talk about with these images of the wall up on these high spaces and, and choke slamming people down uh, or it's just they, they like that image and, and took it to a much greater degree later on in the month. But yeah, I think this was really cool. I was really excited to see where the wall is going. Yeah, your, your uh, Mike Awesome analogy is pretty good. It, so he's almost uh, like a 911 plus uh, at this stage. He's very green, but he's super over because he does one thing well and he's bigger than almost everybody. Or a primetime Brian Lee plus five. Yeah, I would say yeah, he's he's a little. I think he's a little bigger and he's a little less tubby than prime time. But yeah, same idea. That's a good call. And we go to Brian Knobs versus three count courageous Moore and Helms uh, in a some type of match. I'm not sure what they called it. Where Bam Bam had to had to pin all three members of three count uh, to capture the hardcore title. Uh, Knobs makes his entrance and runs backstage to grab a cart full of weapons. Um, three count attack with garbage cans and knobs counters with a chair knobs wipes out three count but helms helms nails him with a chair they take turns 
climbing an eight foot ladder until Helms, I think it was Helms, misses a senton. Nobs get them all, gets them all with a fire extinguisher, and he takes over with weapons. He pins Helms to eliminate him. The referees and the announcers are unclear whether that means that he has to leave or he can still participate in the match. Nobody seems to know. Get used to that. Nobs' music plays after he pins Helms uh, because of WCW, and the announcers have to explain that that's not the end of the match either. Nobs sets up a table and power bombs courageous through it for the three. And so it's effectively Nobs versus Shannon Moore for the hardcore title. And at this point, there's so much shit in the ring, Nobs can't even find room for another table. And then there's a three count on Nobs after an ugly double team spot, but then they restart the match because Nobs' foot was on the ropes at Uncensored. Oh, God. Moore tries to hand. <laughs> Moore tries to then. Uh, well, one of them tries to hand the other one the belt. I've lost track at this point. Nobs kicks the belt in one of their faces. Who's left? At this point, Shannon Moore. Nobs kicks Moore in the in the face with the belt, hits a top rope splash with the trash can, and pins Moore to win the hardcore title. Shivani calls the match a series of bumps. Um, Pete, Pete, yeah, go try. I tried to keep up with that, and I I lost track of my notes there. You did you did very well though. It was just it, <laughs> bloody hell. Um, I. <laughs> The first thing that I noticed was Brian Nobbs shaved those sideburns. Was the first thing I thought of when I first saw him because wow, that is some some cut of hair he's got going on there. Bless him. And then he couldn't find his weapons, so they were just stood in the ring, freak out, just going, "Yeah, where is he?" And he came out and went, "Here I am." And then he went, "Oh shit, where's all my weapons my gone?" Weapons. And he's out, and he's, and he's out the back going, "Where is it?" Oh, chuck it to him, and then eventually he comes out, sort of New Jack esque with his little trolley full of weapons, and then away we go. I mean, just absolute mess. Um, a waste of three count, if there even is a waste of three count. Brian Nobbs, I've never really known him to be a hardcore wrestler. Obviously, the Nasty Boys tag team, they're always a bit rough and ready, bless him. But I don't think he's put any um, prestige back in the title by winning it, but apparently he has. Um, yeah, and the fact that he got pinned with his foot on the ropes, which didn't count because it's a hardcore match. Just says it all, doesn't it? I mean, wow. I think if Chris Lace was on this show, he'd have been, well, there'd have been a few uh, F-bombs, C-bombs and all sorts. So uh, it was just horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Billy? <laughs> oh, my God. What This was a proper mess, wasn't it? Um, I, I do kind of feel sorry for Freak Out, you know. Um, I do like those three guys. I think they've got something going with them with this gimmick um but unfortunately they uh decided to stick them in there with uh brian knobs <laughs> and we got this big big mess and um yeah uh i'm just gonna say can we move on <laughs> i don't know what else to say about it it was a, a giant mess we each get three of those and you've used two so Damn. let's keep in mind Damn. we only have Damn. we only have yeah <laughs> We only have 38 matches to go. Too so. early. Why did you not Peaking tell early. me this at the beginning of the show? <laughs> you you uh, know the rules. You signed your contract. Uh, your independent yeah. contract, your contract. Um, this, I feel, I, I just don't even know what to say. Like, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed Brian Nobbs' single run lately. I, I think he cuts good old school wrestling promos, which you don't see a lot, or you see it infrequently, uh, 
I, I think, you know, he just says, I'm going to kick your ass, and he does it with intensity, and you believe him because he looks like a maniac. And then he comes out, and he wrestles very stiff when he's in there with the right person. You know, him and, and, and Ming, him and Finley, you know, you can see where there's a spot on the cards for these types of matches. In three count, there are obviously three very talented dudes. They've had some amazing matches with other high flyers like the Jung Dragons on Nitro and Thunder. But you can't put these two styles together and expect anything. And you can't put it one on three. And you can't, I don't know. This is just bad booking. I think there's a space on the card for a, you know, a Brian Knobs five-minute punch, kick, beat the shit out of each other match. And I think there's definitely a spot on the card for three count. But those spots should be far apart from one another. This was just ill-conceived. And so Gene is backstage with the new Harlem Heat. And uh, gentlemen, I think the work rate award for the show goes to uh, Tony Norris's girdle. Um, <laughs> and there's a limo backstage, and we're told it's Jeff Jarrett's insurance policy. Last month it was which door, or what, who's behind this door. This month it's who's in the limo. So we go to Billy Kidman and Booker. Versus Harlem Heat 2000, which is Stevie Ray and Big T and a couple of jabronis outside the ring. Booker has proper music now, thank goodness. Uh, and Tori is wearing a modest green number. Shout out to the second rope on hard camera side. Jay Biggs joins the commentary team. And it's clubs by Stevie and Booker on Booker to start. There are five empty seats on the hard camera side. I take that for what it's worth. Uh, Stevie stands in the middle of the ring and lets Kidman work some offense. Uh, Kidman drops Big T with a drop kick and tags Booker. Booker and Big T try wrestling again. And then all of a sudden, there's a lot going on. Uh, Stevie stops a Kidman aerial attack, and Booker stops Cash from entering the fray. Cash is the big one, right? The big guy? Yes. Yeah, okay. And then the other guy. Really okay, big. Yeah. Real big guy. Yeah, I thought he, like I said last month, I thought it was Nelson Frazier. When he first appeared, uh, the heels take over and work over Billy on the floor. Uh, I've written Ahmed. Big T flies over the guardrail and into Kidman. It wasn't King of the Ring 96, but fuck if I'm surprised that that guy could get damn near 400 pounds out high off the ground. Uh, heels continued the beat down on Kidman. There's a hot tag to Booker who gets the bookend on Big T and then on Stevie. The heels bounce back with a flapjack and then Kidman makes the save. Outside the ring, Kidman sends Cash into Stevie, scales the rope, and gets T with a sunset flip, aided by the, by the Harlem sidekick. Good finish there. Um, guys, thoughts on this match and everything that was going on? Uh, Pete, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think uh, match of a night so far. That's saying something, isn't it? Um, I love the uh, the big T dive over the guardrail, <laughs> and he totally missed his target. But as you say, credit to him for having a go at the very least, because... You know, he's a, he's a big guy now. Obviously, he's put on a hell of a lot of weight from his Ahmed Johnson days. And he's, you know, his promos are, as I can say, they're just shouting words that no one can understand and then spitting all over the camera. So that's not changed as well. But I've been on this show for a hell of a long time. And Booker T has never really ever been booked, dare I say, correctly. He was the standout in so many things that I've watched with him in, and what a waste of this guy, you know, with, with him and Kidman, again, as a, as a fantastic talent, you know, so these two together, no wonder, you know, 
it was decent enough. They carried it well enough. Stevie Ray is Stevie Ray. is never going to change. That other guy out there, he just looks like his arms are, are too big for his body. Is, is it Cash, his name? He's just, he just looks weird. Um, so I'm really pleased I didn't screw over Booker in this scenario. He needs to be back. He needs his music back. and He needs to go back up the card. So if that's with Billy Kidman and Tory, I don't know. And I'm glad you pointed out those five seats because they were empty most of the night on the hard camera, which makes you just look so small time. It's just, why didn't just grab somebody and just sit him in there straight away? Because I kept being distracted by the fact there was no one sat in those seats. But the match itself was the best we've had so far. Um, And thank God Booker and, and Billy Kidman won and onwards and upwards. But I've said that probably about 10 times in doing these shows. So let's, let's fingers crossed for it. Would you ever see five seats empty for an entire match on the hard camera side in the WWF? You wouldn't. You can imagine Vince in the background screaming at somebody, couldn't you? Or whoever's at the back going, what's going on? Just get someone there, anybody. Just get them sat there because it's just, you know, this is the main shot we have all night. And there's there's these lovely five. Obviously, a family has got stuck somewhere in traffic or... They've gone for a really long piss because they don't want to come back and watch any of this at the moment. But get somebody to sit there and, you know, put a sign in the round, do something. But just to leave it, it's just, I think it's very negligible, really, isn't it, for the production and the backstage guys. Terrible. Billy, your thoughts on all this? Uh, another really good match. Um, we really needed a good match on this show as well, didn't we? Um, and at long last, we've actually got one. Um I've got to say, with like Peter saying, you know, um, with Billy Kidman and Booker T, you know, surely someone in the office has got to take stand up and realise that these two are someone that you should probably be getting behind and giving the big push to, but they don't really seem to be wanting to do that. For obviously, for certain reasons, uh, you can't really put them into the main event because of certain guys that won't move aside, which is unfortunate. As for the match itself, you know, thank God we got something good at long last. And, uh, you know, it all resembled a proper wrestling match. There was even a hot tag in there, which uh, shocked me. The crowd seemed to get into it. Uh, I was, uh, I'll say, yeah, probably match of the night so far. Yeah, I don't know if I, this might be match of the night, still by the time we get through with the next 52 matches that we have to talk about um no i i i thought the finish was really creative i thought it was good i thought kidman and booker were trying really really hard to have a decent match out of two guys who are inferior uh, performer inferior workers whatever you want to say just they're just not as good of wrestlers um and yeah, there was a lot of shenanigans and hoopla happening outside i think a lot of that probably to mask the shortcomings of 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 big t and and stevie ray which is fine um always good to see the little guy get over uh on the big guy like kidman did on cash all good stuff so i don't have any i don't have too many complaints about the match i just my complaint is that kidman and booker are stuck in this bad feud in a tag team kidman has no reason to be associated with this and booker should be so far ahead of storylines like this by this point I mean, how long has he been in Harlem Heat? Ten years? I mean, in WCW since 1992. So, I mean, we're looking at 
he just needs to move on and he needs to be like you guys have said in the upper mid card he needs to be the u.s champion he needs to be you know an outside world title guy he's got the skill he's got the charisma he's got the look he's got everything you would want for a top guy except he's not hogan flair sting luger goldberg the guys that have kind of clogged that space so yeah i just think the match was fine i just wish that kidman and booker were in different spots and we go straight to Vampiro versus Fit Finley, uh, and these guys brawl all over the building. Um, Tanae tells us Bam Bam and Crowbar suffered severe concussions. Uh, Vampiro's entrance is, is cool, and his look is great, and he gets massive green pyro over his Wayman guitar entrance theme and spooky lighting. Um, and, and so we open with uh, Finley on offense with clubs and elbows. Vampiro takes over with a back leg round kick and a top rope spin kick, punches and chops to Finley. Finley takes over and spikes himself in the forward roll. Now we realize Vampiro has a hard time uh, with certain mechanics like selling. It's distracting to me. Um, but anyway, uh, Finley lays a chair over Vampiro's head. The ref removes it, and Finley takes the chair shot himself. Again, it's uncensored. Why are we not allowing chair shots? On the floor, Vampiro drops, or Finley drops Vampiro onto the guardrail. They brawl into the crowd and up the stairs into the concourse. They brawled into the women's bathroom, and I think they realized it was the wrong bathroom, turned around, and then brawled into the appropriate men's bathroom. Uh, Vampiro took a trash can uh, to the face, and then they brawled into a packed concourse and outside onto a balcony. Back inside, Vamp puts Fit into a concrete post, hits his finish, and gets the three. At this point, the fans are right on top of them. It's riotous. And Tony correctly calls it a mosh pit. Uh, Guys, uh, Pete, we'll start with you. Thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, I'm with you on Vampira. I think there's lots to work with there, but he needs to do a bit more work around his 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 match and how he, as you say, the selling and his characters on board. I think the fans are behind him. He's got something about. Him. He's got very much a that sting essence to his character with the the face paint and the you know his kind of the way he is. But I mean, Fit Finley's a guy who's going to test you physically anywhere, isn't he? Because he's he's a real tough tough guy and very stiff worker and he'll he'll stick a few in there on you if you're not doing what what they want but as soon as it went into the crowd it did come alive a little bit it was a bit dull sort of when they first began but at the same time the crowd were just almost taking part in the match at one point they were just flooded the screen there was no security out there we normally have that you know walking brawl around an arena it's quite clear they're doing the spots they need to do with the security already in place but there were guards falling on the floor there were fans in front of the camera. It looked to get a little bit out of hand at one point. And when the pinfall happened, uh, there were picking people on top of top of Vampiro at the, at the same time. So um, I'm not quite sure what the finish was in terms of the move to, to finally end it. And it was just a, a bit of a, a I'm not going to say street fight. It was just all over the place. But um, I don't know. I think, and then I think I know later on, Finley does a promo and says, you know, I respect you, Vampiro. So maybe, maybe what he did in this match has made Finley a bit of a believer. Maybe we should be too. Through the uh, wonder of audio uh, editing and technology, uh, you will have uh, not experienced the technology uh, mishap that we just did, and, and more specifically, our friend Billy Johnson. Uh, who I guess uh, got so fed up with WCW. <laughs> I think he, he's moved on. 
that he threw his mo- yeah he's on the he's on the WWF cruise with Chris Lacey and the Helena Selcage and Mick Foley um, and Rory um, and so um, uh, technology sucks sometimes and so uh, Billy's gonna sort his things out and hopefully jump back in in a little while uh, trust us uncensored is not the highlight of this so we'll get him back in if we can uh, Pete thanks for your uh, summary of the uh, Fit Finley Vampiro match yeah I. Vampiro is kind of like Sting, isn't he? In that he has everything but the talent, like everything but like the work. He's got an awesome look. The crowd loves him. His promos need a lot of work, uh, but he's got some sort of intensity there. Something's there. His look is great. Crowds into him, but when the bell rings, it it can be a little bit tough. He's sloppy. He's bigger than you think, and so he tries the small guy stuff, and it's often very clunky. And he has a hard time selling. But yeah, I think like Sting, who's de- and Luger, who have both developed into pretty good workers. If this guy just kind of can stay hot and keep the crowd behind him while he learns how to how to work, I think we'll have a star on our hands. I don't think there's, that there's any any doubt about that. There's something there, definitely. And that's not often something to be said about WCW these days. No. So we go to the Harris brothers over uh, against the Mamelukes, uh, which is a main event uh, on your side of the uh, world there, Pete, I hear. Uh, the Mamelukes with Disco Inferno are the tag team champions, and this match is for the WCW tag team titles. Uh, Tony says this match is no disqualification. I don't think it was announced ahead of time, but because it's uncensored, aren't they all? Um there are also new tag belts, and they're not bad. Disco joins the commentary team, and uh, there are punches and kicks between Vito and Harris. I'm just going to say Harris. Harris goes to work on Bull, who counters with a power slam. Disco and Tanae spar on commentary, and the Harris brothers counter with a distraction into a clothesline. Uh, Harris with a side slam for two. Johnny recovers and hits a flying kick, but a distracted ref allows the brothers to double team. They isolate Johnny and slow things down. Things break down, and it's Vito and one of the Harrises in the ring. And Vito hits a massive elbow, but only gets a two. A heart attack variation only gets another two for the Mamelukes. And the Harris brothers then out of nowhere hit the H-bomb on Johnny V, but Vito breaks it up. Disco tries a belt shot I th- for the DQ, or but Harris kicks out of it anyway. That was kind of weird. Disco belt shot, Harris kicks out. Uh... And then I write in my notes, like the last tag, another good match with a completely bonkers finish. Eventually, there's an H-bomb to Vito, and it gets a three in the tag titles for the Harris brothers. Pete, there was a lot of stuff there in the last 45 seconds that I just could not break down to, like, notes. But it was a, it was a busy finish, and the Harris brothers won the titles. Your thoughts? Well, first of all, when you hear the NWA music sound and the Harris brothers come huh. out in black, black T-shirts, whatever they're wearing... Something's sadly wrong, isn't it? When you think of the, the heyday of the NWA <laughs> with Nash and Hall coming out and you know perennial tag team champions, etc. And those two walk out. And you think, this is where we are right now, aren't we, in WCW, that these two guys somehow are affiliated to probably one of the best factions there's ever been in wrestling history. But anyway, just, no, just uh, takes, uh, it just uh, takes you away, doesn't it? On that note, if they if WCW were really interested in sticking to canon, they would definitely have the B Squad NWO theme. That's true. Yes, not even the not even the main the main one, but um, yeah, I didn't know it was a DQ. I must have missed that. Was it on the commentary? I must have missed it when I when I watched it because when well, Disco did the belt shot, 
I was like, well, that's clearly in front of the referee. That's a DQ. And then he kicked out anyway. So I kind of <laughs> thought, well, what was the point? And I thought, are they just like LOD 2000 kind of, you know, just the no-sell guys who just take everything. I mean, some of the moves they were being hit with by Vito during the ball, quite impressive, some of them, to, you'd think, finish matches. But there were lots of kickouts to them. And then the belt shot was a kickout. And there was a couple of H-bombs, which was, which is their finisher. One didn't get the finish. The other one did. And we've got new champions. And again, we've spoken about the Cruiserweight title being in the, you know what, the tag team champions are also in a similar position with these two. I mean, I guess they are kind of the authority around there, aren't they, right now? So I guess it makes a bit of sense to have a little bit of gold around their waist with Jarrett with the US belt. And obviously he's going for the for the title tonight as well. That makes some sense. But these two guys, just they're awful. Because there's nothing about them. They're not particularly that. Their physique's not that impressive. They're not impressive guys. They're just a couple of brothers who kick ass a little bit. But... Bit of a waste of Vito and uh, and Johnny the Bull because they had a little little run there and I quite like the gimmick and I think it's over and Disco's better probably on the commentary than he is in the ring at times so bit of a shame but just a nothing a nothing match. I completely agree with you and I think that even if you're going to have the same match with the same outcome, like can we stop it with these overbooked like poorly conceived ill thought out finishes that completely expose the shortcomings of a of a stipulation or of a booking idea or of a or just of the flow of the match i mean as i'm watching it it's just like fuck every match has some sort of convoluted finish that involves more than somebody hitting somebody with their finisher and getting the one two three do we get that at all tonight i don't think so i know it's the it's the no, it's the uncensored pay-per-view. It's the no DQ, whatever pay-per-view. They keep talking about all these rules that should exist that don't, and they keep enforcing rules that shouldn't exist that apparently do. So just less is more sometimes. And if you're going to have the Harris brothers go over the Mamelukes, just have them beat them or have, you know, Disco has got to get involved a little bit, but managers can get involved, but it doesn't have to be just constant cluster i mean these matches are only five ten minutes long and it just seems like the minute they get started we're already to the finish everybody's in the ring and it's impossible to keep track of and that causes everything to be so sloppy too it's just these two guys i think the harris brothers are good you know kind of good hands maybe and they could stay there they sit in the middle of the ring and take johnny and Vito's offense and that's what this match could have been and it could have been a decent tag match and it, it just completely fell apart so, as we talked about earlier, backstage, uh, Finley puts over Vampiro. It's a tough guy. He's got his respect. We go to a package uh, for Terry Funk versus Dustin Rhodes. And Dustin cuts a good promo. And, and we didn't talk much about television uh, before we got into this. We're already an hour in. You can see why. Um, but basically, on TV, uh, Terry and, and Dustin are feuding. And it's a Rhodes versus Funk feud. Except for, it seems to involve raw chicken. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Terry Funk has brought out rubber and real chickens, and so has Dustin. And they've, as Dusty would say, clubber in each other, baby, with chicken, raw chicken, uh, you know, joke chicken. I can't even, I'm trying to say this seriously, and I, you just can't. 
So anyway, we go to the match, and it's Terry Funk, and he says Dustin's baby brother is here. And a small person in a chicken mascot is in the ring. Dustin gives it a chase, and it's Dustin Rhodes versus Terry Funk in a bull rope match. Uh, Pete, uh, just off the top of your head, I know I didn't prep you for this, but we've all been watching wrestling for a million years. Traditional rules of a bull rope match, how do you win? Um, you're supposed to use the bull rope, aren't you, to get the pin? Or it's just a, it's a weapon, I believe. Yeah, and I, I wasn't sure um, because I was unclear as to whether or not this was supposed to be a touch the all four corners type bull rope match, or but that's typically think, a strap match with, with which they had later, and then yeah. they, announced, they announced this as a no disqualification match at one point. I, it's unclear. I think it's just a weapon, if I'm honest. Just okay. a weapon to use. I think. I think. Well, good. Good. That's how they. That's how they treated it here. So we start in the aisle way, and Funk takes advantage. He whips Dustin with the bull rope. Uh, this is when Tony says the match is a no disqualification and not a bull rope match. Uh, Terry keeps the advantage and hits Dustin with the bell for a two. They're in the ring now. Dustin takes over and leathers Terry with the cowbell on the floor, and it's all punches and kicks and cowbell-based offense. Back in the ring, Dustin gets a couple of two counts. A bulldog on the cowbell gets a two. And now the chicken is back, and Dustin clobbers the chicken. And chicken sound effects are peppered in. Seriously. God. Pete, Madden says, the chicken must die. <laughs> Tony, we don't want to see the chicken anymore. I never knew Shivani to be a shooter, but wasn't he there? Uh, Terry <laughs> Funk gets the mic and says he's changing the rules, and now it's an I quit match. And the referee says, no, it's not. Um, and Terry then hammers the ref with the cowbell and goes to work on Dustin with massive bell shots. Dustin quits. The ref is up and completely no-sells the cowbell shot. On the distraction, Dustin nails Terry with the bell. Dustin gets the three after pile-driving Terry onto the cowbell. Wow. After the match, they keep fighting, and Terry chases Dustin to the back. Pete. Oh, there's so much to say about this, which probably is a good thing, I suppose, but at the same time, probably not. Um... So if you imagine Dusty Rhodes, Terry Funk, 19, I don't know, 84, 85, I'm about right, probably in that era, maybe. Would you ever imagine there would be a man in a chicken suit running around the ring while those two were having a Texas bull rope match? I can't ever imagine that would ever happen, personally. Because I, I do seem to remember one in Kamitsky Park for Gotch Hackenschmidt 3, but maybe I'm not remembering that correctly. Wow. I mean, you know, these two were, were being were selling it as, you know, two tough sort of Texans, and you know, we're going to knock nine bells of shit out of each other, and it's going to be a right knockout, drag out, you name it, just an absolute beating. And then Terry Funk walks out with a chicken on his hand, a raw chicken, a whole raw chicken on his fist, and that's just the beginning of it. And you're just like, what is going on here? And they tried to probably sell it that it was going to be this absolute you know slugfest and but because of all the interference of, of chickens and bits and bobs what i did like i just thought about this right now as we we're talking about it and as you went through your summary of the match i quite like the way um in, in uncensored maybe you could have a match where you change the match type during the match if that makes sense so it begins as something and then you can change it throughout the match just to kind of mix it up 
I mean, it was made no sense here because it was a Texas ball rope match. Then it became a no DQ match, as you said. And then Terry Funk wants it to be an I quit match. And it ends up being, um, I think it was a pinfall, wasn't it? That actually won it in the end. It was. So what, <laughs> it was just, it was just weird. So strange. And I don't know. I mean, Dustin said that this is Terry's retirement match. Big joke, inside joke there, clearly. Um, and I think Dustin looked pretty decent, looks in good shape. You know, he's gone through some, some rough times, hasn't he? And sort of the past 18 months, he looked okay. Terry's looked the same he has done for the past, what, five, ten years, bless him. It could have been so much better, but never had any right to be any better than it was. Um, bit of a waste. It could have been, you know, back in the day, an absolute blood fest and a real... You know, Stan Hansen style, absolute, you know, stiff match. But on this card with these stipulations, it had no chance. Yeah, this, I agree with you completely on Dustin. He's calling himself the American Nightmare on television and he's dressing in all black. And he's, I think it's great and he looks motivated. It's a cool gimmick and it's a good feud in theory. I mean, how do you get over a guy? Will you put him over one of his, you know, famous father's, you know, top nemesis? Great. I get it. Um, but this was the worst type of match in that they beat the shit out of each other for real. It looked like shit and the crowd didn't care. So these guys, especially Terry Funk, who's, you know, bump card looks like, you know, a cloud of dust at this point. They're just beating the hell out of each other with these stiff cowbell shots. And I don't know how you work a cowbell, but it looked painful and there was blood and the guys looked you know like they were in some real agony and the crowd didn't care it didn't look good and then it just ended and then through all of that and they're working hard too they are i mean terry funk's never not going to work hard and like you said dustin is motivated but they put this again the booking they put this chicken bullshit in it they pepper sound effects and it becomes like a goddamn you know it's not even a parody or a satire it's just you know, a child's fever dream. I mean, if you give a six, seven-year-old Tylenol PM, this is the kind of shit they're going to think about. And that's what WCW is putting on their screen. Like, it's it's just, it's it's almost insulting. If they weren't being paid for this, and probably in Terry Funk's case, very handsomely to, to be there. If they weren't being paid for this, I would say that these guys deserve better. But they put themselves in it, and they did it. And it was just an incredibly disappointing match and no matter what you think of funk terry funk dustin Rhodes, it's just it was atrocious and uh these guys beat the hell out of each other for no good reason at all and there was a chicken <laughs> we get to a recap of the sting and lex luger feud um just a recap on sting he hasn't really been featured very much on tv uh, as I mentioned in the news, he's been uh, at a bit of an end with uh, ends with the current WCW uh, creative team, well, at least the creative team as of the 19th of the month. Um, and so he's only agreeing to come in and work pay-per-view shots and not really commit to anything long-term. But he's here now. And so it's Sting versus the total package. Lex Luger in a lumberjack match. Lex has been, bre- Lex has been breaking everybody's arms. Um, or Lex and Bam, you know, here's the thing. I told you guys in February not to pay attention to these storylines. Pete, do you even remember why everybody has their arm broken at this point? I don't know. No. Uh, <laughs> so it doesn't matter. There's the Lumberjacks, and they're at ringside, and they're all faces, 
and they're wearing uh, casts on their arm. Uh, Luger makes his endless entrance, and he looks ridiculous. Um, he has the mic, and he says he brought backup Lumberjacks, and whereas the mid-card face roster had come out to start the match, now here come the mid-card heels. This is in your house, too, all over again. Where's Mantar? Sting makes his entrance, and Luger Pearl harbors him. Sting takes advantage, and Luger escapes to the heel side. Sting hits a slam and a big elbow for a two. Sting throws Lex into the faces, who put the boots to Lex. Even Doug Dillinger is in there in the action. Uh, I think Doug Dillinger was somebody who was somebody who had had their arm broken in the storyline that now we just can't remember. Uh, but Lex turns the table, and Sting goes into the heel side, and it's a melee. <laughs> Shit, it's Tank Abbott. He's walking down the rampway, and he beats up Doug Dillinger, WCW head of security, and walks back. Alrighty then. The Lumberjacks brawl outside, and now it appears to just be Sting, Lex, and Vampiro. Everybody else has gone to the back. And Ric Flair joins us, and he brawls with Vampiro. Rick's in the ring, and Sting clears him out, too. Liz nails Sting with the bat. Vampiro takes the bat, and a returning Jimmy Hart takes Liz to the back. Luger goes for the rack, but Vampiro nails Lex. Sting hits the death drop and gets the three. Post-match, Sting and Vampiro embrace. Pete, another one of the finishes that we talked about just a minute ago, but overall, I thought this was better than it had any right to be. I mean, if they just had Sting against the total package with maybe Liz interfering with the you know with the bat shot, this could have saved the show a little bit because these two guys, you know, there's a lot of history there. There's still there's enough talent and experience to pull out a half decent match, but. As I say, once the Tank Abbott came out, it just descended into just a chaos. And, and Ric Flair, out of nowhere, comes out as well. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, I just don't get what they were trying to get out of the Lumberjack situation. We're all used to Lumberjacks fighting each other on the outside. We get that. They cleared the ring and then Jimmy Hart's coming in. Liz is on the thing. Ric Flair's coming in. Vampiro's in. You know, as you said in the last match, why can't we just have two guys who are feuding and pay it off. Someone needs to win. It probably was going to be Sting all the way anyway. Great. Let Sting win then. End this. Move on. But it's just left with so much that's gone on. Yeah, Vampiro's come back out again. He's involved. Now he's aligned with Sting, which is probably not a bad thing for him. He's, um, Flair, barely, he's, barely, he's barely selling the complete ass-whipping that he and Finley <laughs> gave to each other 40 exactly. minutes ago. Exactly, exactly. And Flair, who's got his own match, you know, as we know, later on in the match, he, he comes out because obviously him and uh, him and Lex are best friends. Um, we always knew Liz would at some point get involved. I'm not quite sure why Jimmy Hart, I know obviously Lex was his kind of thing, but I thought Jimmy Hart was back with you-know-who and it's just... It's just so messy. I don't understand who, who sits in the back or who sits and writes this stuff for them to do. I mean, they must be sitting there going, let's just have a match. And, you know, if it's going to be a shitty finish, just let Liz do a bat shot or turn heel or something. I don't know, whatever it may be. Have Sting win, come out strong, and then let's, let's go forward. But it's just so messy. About five minutes there, it was chaos. And why did Tank Abbott come out and deck? Well, how old was Doug Dillinger? About 60, 65? Yeah. It makes it like a right fall. Okay, well, then you punch an old guy to the floor. Great. Congratulations. You know, it's not put him over at all. It took a bit of a dick, actually, didn't he, doing that? And then going back to the... the if he'd come out and knocked over Lex Luger, well, hang on a minute. 
there's a there's your next feud potentially. Oh, Let's oh, don't, win. Don't you dare, Pete. Don't you dare <laughs> put Tank Abbott in the ring with Lex Luger. But, but you know what I mean, though. In, <laughs> yeah, in, in terms do. of just doing something different, as opposed to Doug Dillinger. But yeah, as you say, it wasn't when it that first sort of five or six minutes was okay. The last two or three was just just mess after mess. Again, it, it's almost like this show took place with nobody in charge of WCW. But that's just me speculating. Uh, this as if you it's as if you know Eric. What do you, what do you know? <laughs> we'll talk about it. Um, there's so many ways to a, kind of attack this, and I, I think everything you said is completely valid. And I think the fact that you had to get rid of all the lumberjacks in a lumberjack match to pay off the you know the finish and the sh- kind of the match end of match angle with Vampiro and Sting I think that just tells you don't have a lumberjack match or don't do the angle at the end of the match or pay it off a different way they wanted to get Sting and Vampiro in the ring together they wanted to give Vampiro the rub I totally get it it's very very clear that they were working to get the wall and Vampiro uh, as much positive screen time as possible uh, weeks before everything that we we will talk about happened um, in terms of WCW management. I mean, it's very, very clear that these guys were Kevin Sullivan guys, and he wanted to get them over strong um, while he still had the pen. And he did. And But it was just at the expense of everybody else involved in this match. And yeah, the Tank Abbott thing, it's just, he's he's he belongs in a training school. He doesn't belong in a wrestling ring. He's going to hurt somebody. And it's not... He's not particularly impressive looking. His shit doesn't look particularly good. He's just like, he's a bargain basement Ken Shamrock. And with how Shamrock petered out as quickly as he did, that's really saying something. So we cut to a recap of Jeff and Sid, and there's a change in format all of a sudden, and Sid is told that he's up next. So the world champion is having to hustle out to his match. And it's Sid versus Jeff Jarrett for the WCW world title. Jarrett's out with a microphone, and he says his last roadblock is beating Sid for the world title. He says he's got something up his sleeve. Sid's music hits, and it must be said, Sid is still massively over. Punches and kicks start the match from Sid. There's a 10-punch in the corner from Sid, and Jarrett counters a chokeslam with an eye rake, and we spill to the floor. Brawl into the crowd, and we're fighting in the seats. They walk and brawl back into the aisleway. The Harris brothers crash the party and go to work on Sid. Jeff takes the advantage with stomps and punches. Jeff locks in a long sleeper. Sid's arm goes down once and twice, but not a third. He breaks the sleeper and sends Jeff into the corner. There's an exchange, and Sid comes out with punches. Big boot into Jeff. Jeff tries to send Sid into the belt, but it's reversed for a two. Jeff goes low to counter a chokeslam. And Jeff accidentally on purpose nails the ref who uses the distraction to nail and Jeff uses the distraction to nail Sid with the belt. Oh no, but there's our friend Mr. Bollea. Hulk Hogan is out. He follows Slick Johnson who'd come out to count the pin. And Slick does a really slow count so Hulk can break it up. Hulk cleans house, drops the leg on Jeff, pulls Sid over, and Sid gets the three to retain. This, I, I, you've He's so right about Sid. The guy is massively over. He's become almost the most over guy probably in the company, right? And the crowd are, are solidly behind him. 
I think Jarrett, to use one of your terms, is a good hand. He's a good a good foil for for Sid in any kind of face champion. I think he's enjoying his his role in the company as the uh, the chosen one and the guy who's got a little bit of the of the stroke and all that in the back potentially, and um, it works quite well. And for most of it, it was you know again it was good stuff. It was all right. But then we just get to the last, what, three or four minutes again or mm-hmm. three minutes again? And here we go again. We've got the ref bump. Um, you could see Hulk slowly come out. Slick, <laughs> Slick Johnson. Slick Johnson was almost pegging it down to go, I'm gonna I'm gonna count this three. Hulk just wandered. So Slick Johnson does the one, almost puts his finger up, doesn't he, for one. Does the two, puts his finger up for the two. He's like, Where is Hulk? Where is Hulk? Where is Hulk? Two, two and a half. And then, it was literally almost a three. Hulk eventually, because he can't probably, probably be asked to get there any quicker than he had to, drags him out. And then you're like, hang on a minute. Why are you... I know obviously those two are, are paired up, but oh, I don't know. And then there was talk of... We haven't done the post-match, we're at all. We've just done the match, anyway, so I might not go into that yet. And it's just... I don't know. And then he just starts cleaning house knocking the Harris twins down he's taking Jarrett Jarrett out it's all Hogan 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 look at me I'm I'm saving saving my buddy but I'm also taking up all his all his glow and all his you know all his glory that he had drapes him onto Jarrett so that he can get the the cheapest pin as a as a face over champion that Sid is I mean I don't know it just takes you back I mean I think I watched Royal Rumble 92 the other day with when Sid was an over face and Hogan obviously didn't like that, did he? And he had to go and steal his thunder a little bit and we end up feuding. And I think we're going down that road again, potentially in the end, but sadly, but it's just the booking of this. Hogan obviously clearly had his big dirty yellow hands all over it, or his tanned hands, <laughs> wherever they are. And just had to have his moment before he had his own match. I mean, the fact that they said to Sid, I'm rambling now. I'm really sorry because just this has blown me all away. But at the beginning, <laughs> when Sid sat in his locker room, polishing his belt, chilling out a little bit, and the guy walks in and goes, "You're up now. Go." And Sid's like, "What? I'm the main event." No, you're not anymore. No, it's, I think that must have changed. What within the last ten minutes was it? Just to literally Hogan went, "No, hang on a minute. I'm I'm going on last. I'm, it's just this is me," you know. That's just says it all, doesn't it, for this whole the whole scenario and what's happening with WCW at the at the top end that Jarrett and Sid probably deserved the uh, the main event because it is for the title, you know. And they've had a good feud. Sid's massively over. Keep going with Sid. Hogan's in your past. Sid could potentially be your future. That's a scary thing to say, isn't it? That Sid oh. is kind of your future. We've been here before with this guy, but right now he's over. But yeah, just it's just we, you can literally play and repeat, play and repeat the last what four matches, and that's the problem. Uh, you know, if if you follow up with what happened the next night on Nitro, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But basically, Sid turns heel on Hogan, and okay, so if you're gonna do that, then this makes sense. But then what you can't do, and we talk about this a lot, you can't do the same thing every match that comes before it. This has to be something different, or it doesn't makes sense and it gets lost like okay hogan comes out to save sid the next night on nitro sid says hogan i don't need you you always want to be a glory basically sid cut the same promo on hogan that you just did pete um and he's right but if you're gonna do that 
then you can't have fucked finishes in every single match leading up to it because then it doesn't mean as much and people don't notice it and it doesn't matter. And then it just looks like, oh, there's Hogan again, you know, pulling a Mania 9 or, or whatever. Yeah, and I think I think if you're going to do this, you have to have foresight on your booking the card to know, okay, let's not have all of this come before what is an angle that needs to stand out and make people think, why did that happen? Um, but they didn't do that. So then out of nowhere, Big Papa Pump hits the ring. Scott Steiner is back, and he yells Hogan with a guitar. Pete, are you one of the freaks? Holler if you hear me. He's Absolutely. Back. I love him. I think he's amazing. and I think he's someone who needs to be rocketed back into the main event because, man, he's one scary guy and gives zero you-know-whats to anybody or anything. And the fact that he took it straight to Hogan with a guitar, pretty full force as well, by the way. He took a good shot there, Hogan, to be fair. Great to see him back. The only thing is, as ever in wrestling, they didn't pay off the limousine being opened and Scott Scott Skyner coming out. I'm guessing he was the guy in the limousine, the insurance policy. Right. But he didn't save Jarrett, did he? So it didn't work. They paid it off. No, they paid it off the exact same way they paid off the mystery door last month, which was there could have been any number of people that were in the mystery limo. And then they never actually made the announcement that it was Scott Steiner. Just like last month, they never made the announcement that it was Roddy Piper. Um, just, just, that's just why though. So he's an insurance policy who didn't actually help Jarrett until Jarrett had been battered by Hogan slowly walking down the ring cleaning house, knocking Jarrett out with the leg drop of doom and draping him over, um, sorry, Sid over Jarrett. And then Steiner decides to come out and beat the shit out of Hogan. Too well, little too late, get, mate, really, isn't it? Well, when you're getting nasty with the freaks backstage, you can lose you can lose a cue here and there. That's, that's the only assumption well, that I have to yeah, make. Fair enough. Or that this show had nobody running it. Um, so Hogan is laid out in the middle of the ring and Ric Flair is there and the match starts. Paul Heyman would be very proud as Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair in a Yapapai Indian strap match perfectly sigs from the last segment and it starts brawl to the outside and they're pummeling each other in the, in the ribs. Oh, Pete, tell us how you win a strap match, please. Right. So we know this one, don't we? You have to hit, with the guy attached to you, all four corners of the ring with the guy attached to you. But he has to be, I believe, standing or upright or lying down on the floor or dragged. If he gets up, I think it breaks it, but who God only knows. But that's what I think. That's how it should be, isn't it? Yeah, you got to. I think we'll just say tap all four corners while your opponent is incapacitated. Fair enough? Yes. Yeah, that'll do. All right. All right. So that's how this match is going to go. In the ring, Hogan chokes Flair and leathers him with the strap. Rick takes over with kicks to the ribs. Flair wraps the strap around Hogan's mouth. Hogan responds with a low blow. Hogan whips Flair with his weight belt. Um, Hulk batters Rick and gets a 10 in the corner and bites him. Another 10 punches. Flair tries to run and Hulk drags him back in. Rick tries the high-risk move and it doesn't work again. Rick has color, which looks amazing in his white mane. It always does. Jimmy Hart whips Flair. And at this point, it's basically a squash match. Hogan completely no-sells all 
Ulrich's offense, and we're up on the entrance ramp now, and Luger's here, and Luger nails Hulk in the dome with a chair. Hulk has color now. Rick drags Hogan around and batters him. Rick nails a low blow and takes the strap off to chase Jimmy Hart. Tony begs someone to try and win the match. Shooter Shivani strikes again. Jimmy Hart tries to help Hogan and takes a beating for his trouble. They're completely no-selling Hogan taking the bat shot, taking a bat shot to his knee just a few days ago. Uh, Rick finally tries to slap the corners and win the match, but he fails. Rick takes a tape something out of his boot and nails Hogan. Flair then goes to pin Hogan, and Hogan hooks up and tags three corners before Luger comes in and gets dispatched by Hogan. Hogan then hits the leg and pins Flair to win the match. Hogan then taps the corner, the fourth corner, and is announced the winner. The show ends with Hogan posing in the ring and his music blasting. Pete. Yay, what the fuck? Hogan. <laughs> Yay, Hogan. Um, well, last year, Uncensored, they were in a barbed wire steel cage first blood match where I believe they both bled and someone won by pinfall. That's right. If I recall. I it all blends, that wrong. It, it all <laughs> runs. It all runs. The last year and a half of WCW probably <laughs> all run together. So I'm not surprised this was an absolute mess of a, you know, if, if you're going to have a match that has defined rules, you can do all your shortcuts. You can both get color. You can bleed. And as you're right, they're both, when they're both bleeding, actually, they look quite, they do look good. It looks really effective and it works because these two are, you know, they're old. They need to do these sort of shortcuts to make it look like they're really, you know, hurting each other and doing what they need to do. But then you've got, you know, pinfalls starting to appear. And then I think Shivoni, uh, Madden said, you can't, you can't pin in a strap match. And, he did. And Shivoni, he did. And Shivoni said, yeah, but you can always kick out. It's like mm-hmm. when Randy Savage used to try and do pinfalls in the Rumble, didn't they? It? It's like, what are you doing, man? You, <laughs> you don't win it like that. Um, these two have had this, this match, you know, and together. They should have themselves so in tune with how they work but unfortunately because it's been so long because they're in getting towards the twilight the crowd i mean when you know when hulk used to hulk up back in the day the crowd were on their feet and losing their minds weren't they and he had them in the palm of his hands didn't he and these days it's just it's really quick it's a really quick hulk up it's almost like a bit of comedy and then he he just gets the win and the fact that it was it came out as the main event, it was weird that Flair just just literally just jogged back out again because he knew Hogan was was laid out, but couldn't get the win. So uh, I don't know. It's just it had to be you know who at the end celebrating, and that says it all, doesn't it, for WCW in March two thousand. In fairness to WCW, the next night on Nitro, they sold it as Hogan by winning winning by touching the corners. And they didn't talk about the pinfall at all. So they realized that they had fucked up or Hogan, you know, whispered in the referee's ear, uh, you know, at some point during the match, you know, hey, brother, count the three. Where have we, you know, heard that before, right? Uh, and so with, with Nick Patrick, the referee here, I didn't even take note of it. It doesn't, whatever. Like, again, I like think he, guys, was. he wasn't. Two guys working hard. We've seen this match before. Both guys are far out of their prime at this point. Uh, Rick looked like an absolute chump. He got his ass beat. It took a nation to almost beat Hogan, and he still won. Rick is completely devalued at this point. Like, can anybody take this guy seriously as an in-ring performer? He's just been jobbing 
at a high level for three or four years, mostly to Hogan. Like you've taken all the value out of Ric Flair. You've completely devalued Hogan, the Hogan Flair feud, which could kind of be a forever feud because Flair never wins. Flair has now Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't recall Ric Flair ever having a meaningful win over Hulk Hogan. Fucking Arn Anderson got a win over Hogan on Nitro, but I don't think Flair has ever beat Hulk Hogan. He hasn't. Meaningful. But Flair's, more, but Flair's more willing to take the loss, isn't it, it seems? It feels like three times a year we talk about this on the show. You know, at what point does Ric Flair, and I think it was our old friend Jeff Parker who brought this up all the way back in 1996, 1997, you know, at what point does Ric Flair doing the job just completely devalue all the goodwill that Ric Flair, the world champion, had? And this was just a massive clusterfuck. And then we own, we closed the show with Hogan posing. Like, it, I don't know. Like, the crowd seemed into it, but... I think the young crowd were into it. You could hear the Hogan chants, whether that was a bit piped in or a bit forced. But I think, I don't know, when the camera comes on, you're bound to look a little bit excitable. But I, I it wasn't there. What was there, 5,000 people there? Well, 5,000 there, but apparently 2,600 paid in a basketball arena that seats about 18,000. So you've got Hogan Flair in your, well, it was a semi-main, but in your main, you know, and it can't even draw over 2,500 paid people. That's, there you are. What, what more do you need to know? Nothing. We don't need to know anything. You don't, do you? No. And, and then... But in the UK, it'll probably sell out a 60,000 seat arena. There you go. No, no, because Hogan's not making that flight, brother. Send perfect. Oh, no. um, <laughs> who wasn't even on this show, by the way? Kurt Hennig. No, Kurt I don't. Hennig, Kurt Hennig has value. Where was he? Kidman and Booker T, they're in a tag team. You know, you're not, you're not telling me that you couldn't give Booker the rub by putting him in the match with Kurt Hennig for 12 minutes and having him get over. Uh, I'm done. Anyway, Pete, your overall show, thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10. So I had a little look. I mentioned Uncensored last year, and I was just running through the cards. And I just I'm gonna chuck some names at you before I come on to my opinion. So um, obviously Billy Kidman was in a singles match. Kevin Nash, Rey Mysterio. You've got Raven, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko. You mentioned Kurt Hennig, Perry Saturn, Chris Jericho, Booker T, Scott Steiner. Obviously the main event was Ric Flair Hogan. You look at that talent. I know the show was, wasn't probably much better than this one, but actually look at the talent and look at what we've just gone through with this card. It, it's incredible how, how a year has gone by and we are, we are where we are right now with who's, who's there. Um, and WCW had a chance in 1999 because although the Federation, I think commercially, are obviously smashing it everywhere, aren't they? But from an in-ring point of view, they weren't amazing in '99. They it had was a, chance a horrible to, year. It, it, was, was, it, was, it was shocking, you know, really. They had a chance to still keep that niche of maybe that, that wrestling angle to it, that cruiserweight, that great tag division, blah, blah, blah. None of it's happened, you know. And you look at this this tonight, um, it wasn't the worst show. I think that's still, for me, it might be sold out 97 or with the Miss Rumble contest is still one of my all-time low points as a WCW card which was just Eric Bischoff on a motorbike all night, which was just weird. Um, it wasn't the worst I've ever seen, but I think the standouts were the fact that Vampiro, I think, is somebody they're getting behind. I think mm-hmm. the wall, the wall looks like a guy they're really trying to get get over. 
So that's a, that's a positive. They're trying to pick some people out of the of the new guys we need to see, you know, going into spring and summer here. Not Hogan and Flair. Um, Sting maybe with Vampira. That's something we can you can move forward. I mean, we've now got Sid and Hogan. Obviously, now going to have their their moment, which is a bit worrying, I think, because it's similar to what five six years ago. I don't know. I, I, did we did we mention a match of the night? I think we probably left it at Booker T Harlem Heat two thousand. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think for me it was either that or going back just on watchability alone, just the the chaos that was the Vampiro Finley match. I think those yeah. two would be, as you say, not one match apart from obviously the main event because obviously it had to be you know fifteen minutes, whatever it was. It was one match over ten minutes, which actually is quite refreshing that you haven't got. You know, lots of chin locks and in unsense, and you don't want maybe loads and loads of wrestling. But if you're going to have lots of no DQ, make it clear tonight, no disqualifications at all. You know, really stamp the rules down on every match so you know what's happening. The wrestlers didn't have a clue what was going on in half of these matches. You know, Terry Funk tried to change it halfway through to his own match that he wanted to do. You know, there was, the, I mean, the running count was probably in double digits throughout the night. Um, so oh, to score it, blimey! Um, I'm going to give it a four, and I'm probably being really generous, but I'm trying to pick out the fact that Vampira was featured quite heavily, which I think is a positive. Booker T and Kidman, at least they got over a little bit in their match. The Wall, I really like moving forward. There was a bit of fun with the Norman Smiley match, which you need a little bit of fun to break up all the, the absolute mess. Right. So I'm going to give it a four. I'm probably being really, really nice, but I'm trying to be trying to be positive about these things. Yeah. And how do you even grade these shows at this point? I mean, we're on this stretch where do you grade it against WCW or do you grade it against, you know, it's just, it's, you know, the bar to grade these shows is becoming, you know, could potentially be, become so low that you watch this show and you think, oh, it wasn't bad for what WCW has been for the past couple of months. Yeah. Maybe it deserves a four or a five. But then compare it to some of like the 92 show, like, oh, this is a negative 38 show. It's just, you know, how do you, how do you, it's becoming difficult to even grade these because of the, the you know, how far WCW has fallen. Like you, you know, really eloquently laid out with the roster depth and the matches and the booking and just everything's everywhere and the people on top and boy, it's just on screen backstage. It's just a disaster. Yeah. I think, you know, the, that, that one spot with the wall and crowbar, that'll be something that's replayed for time and mo- memoriam, hopefully. So, you know, that that's worth a half a point. You can kind of go through this, you know, Ahmed Johnson flying through the air, bless his heart. You can kind of find, <laughs> You know, you know, point two five, point five bumps here and there. It's not not a good show. I wouldn't recommend the show, but I, you know, I think I can give the show. I think I can give the show a three, and rest knowing that it's better than last month's show, um, and it's probably not as bad as it could have been given everything that was involved that we'll talk about very shortly. So I think we'll average out on a three point five out of ten for uncensored two thousand. And really quickly, Pete, before we get in, you know, we're, we keep touching at it, but there's one very important uh, storyline development that I want to talk about on the Nitro following Uncensored on the 20th. And it's set up to be the main event of Sid and Hulk Hogan versus Jeff Jarrett 
and Big Papa Pump. We get to the match, and it must be said that Sid is incredibly over. The crowd is hot. He's cutting babyface promos. WCW has really got something here. Hogan's out to give him the rub, says, you're the future, brother. This is sounding a lot like you said, like 1992. They're running it back. Then Sid turns heel and chokeslams Hogan and pins him, I guess. And now Sid is a heel. Uh, The crowd seemed more confused than anything else. And uh, Pete, I thought this was relevant in light of everything that happened at the end of the month. Thoughts on the Sid heel turn? Does this make sense to you? Well, it doesn't, because at one point, um, Hogan seemed to be bigging up Vampiro, didn't he, as well? That mm-hmm. he, he was like his backup guy, and he kept on cutting promos about Vampiro, and so he's the guy he was sort of aligning with. So maybe that played into the fact that something was going to happen, but it seems weird that you've probably never had Sid as over in WCW as you have right now with the fans. He's got the belt. You know, this must have been... Hogan thinking, hang on a minute, you're stealing my uh, my spotlight, brother, and all this business, and I'm I'm not having that anymore. And I want to now, it's now you and me. Let's go back. Let's as you say, let's turn back the clock and have this match again from what WrestleMania eight was it? I think when they had their main event match. That yes. was probably was that ninety two, ninety three, ninety two. Yep, ninety two. So eight years ago, these two main evented WrestleMania. And eight years later, do we really want to have Sid as the heel? And, you know, if, if it had been Hogan as the heel and Sid as the face, that's a different, you know, different style to it, demographic in terms of the match. But you know full well that it's going to be, Sid's going to have to lay down for, for Hogan so Hogan can get his belt back. And that's just so, just it's just depressing, really, that he has that much power and that much that Sid just basically gets his, balls taken away doesn't he really and ends up being he does play probably a better heel Sid because he is a he has a big guy he's quite menacing and you know that psycho Sid character that he played for many years but he was getting over as you said as a face he was cutting those promos a crowd were behind him and they just ripped it away and it doesn't make any sense he's been the only really like consistently positive thing at the top of the card for months now. I mean, going back to the last time he feuded with Goldberg last fall, the, the, the talk is that they want to heat him up as a heel to then feed him strong to Goldberg when Goldberg, whenever Goldberg gets back, you know, in 92 Sid, the, if you, if you read it now, Sid didn't want to be the next Hogan. So he kind of took his ball and went home. He's Sid. He's an, he does this. But now I think Sid could easily be a tweener, you know, a, a shade of gray. Isn't that what they say in, you know, in Beyond the Mat? Like, he he could be an anti-hero. And I think that would be a perfect character for Sid. Kind of like an arbiter of justice, but it doesn't... See what I did there? But it doesn't matter <laughs> if, you're, if you're good or if, if you're evil. If, if you're in Sid's crosshairs, Sid is going going to come for you like why can't that be sid he can still face goldberg but he doesn't need to go through his face heel turn bullshit and he certainly doesn't need to be rubbed up against hogan i mean sid is established enough on his own at this point that being associated with hogan is only going to leave a big yellow stink on it more than anything um and my other thought pete before we get to the meat of the matter is well two things first off just very quickly 
can't Sid and Goldberg both be quote unquote faces or at least a face and a tweener for a while? Can't they coexist for now and, and kind of ride this momentum that Sid has? Well, again, I hate to go to go back in time because you do, but you know, think of Hogan Warrior. You know, the two big faces of the company were able to rise side well, Hogan was already there, but Warrior was able to rise, wasn't he? And simultaneously alongside him be as popular and you know get that the fans behind him and then that clamors for that to happen so why can't Goldberg and Sid coexist together because Goldberg's he's got that edge to him that he's not necessarily just a face is he Goldberg can no. can turn anybody and kick anyone's ass he doesn't give a shit does he, he just literally he'll, he'll he'll jackhammer you and put you down he just wants to win that's all he cares about really so he hasn't got many friends as such. He tried to, but I think they've all turned on him or whatever else in the past. So that's perfect. So you could almost have the anti-hero Sid and Goldberg, you know, tearing apart WCW together. But and eventually maybe one turns or they just have that face feud, and it could be brilliant, you know. But of course, no one's going to picture that. And I'm guessing because Goldberg's not back yet as well, when he was going to be back, um, that would be the key. But I don't know. I just think they could have. They could have really gone right. We now need to demote someone like Hogan. Not easy to do, I know. Demote Flair. Sting can elevate maybe Vampiro. Yada, yada, yada. The wall maybe could be someone Hogan could put over in the future. Dare I say that, you know? But it doesn't happen that way, does it? It's just all about whose face is at the top of the card, who's earning the money, who's got the power. And that's why, you know, it's not going to work, is it, at the moment? So, Pete, are you ready? I'm ready. We are now at about an hour and a half of recording time, and we've been teasing this for a while. First, we'll talk about the March 27 Nitro as it happened on television. We go, and it effectively... Well, it starts with DDP and Kimberly returning to WCW and hyping the new movie, Wayne's World with Muscles. No, I'm sorry, uh... Whatever it was called. Uh, Ready to rumble. There it is. I was looking through my notes here. I just remember it, Wayne's World with Muscles, because that's all they sold it as. <laughs> but anyway, he's back. That's good. DDP coming back can't hurt. So now in a span of you know, just 24 hours or so, we have Chris Candido, Big Papa Pump, and DDP. Not bad. And apparently Sting back to do more, more than pay-per-view angles. So things look to be on the rise. We get Hulk Hogan out, and he's doing an interview in the ring with Gene, and all of a sudden, on the top of a very... T- oh, it should be mentioned that we are uh, we're in an outdoor venue. It's WCW Spring Break, so everybody's wearing Hawaiian shirts, and all the co-eds are drunk. But anyway, uh, Hogan's in the ring, and all of a sudden, on the top of a tall building on a spotlight, it's the wall, brother! And it looks like we're going to get Hulk Hogan versus the wall in the main event. Color me surprised. Mm-hmm. And then, Pete, the other the other angle, Tony Schiavone announces off the show, Brad Siegel has made the historic decision to bring Eric Bischoff back as head of creative in hopes Vince Russo will join him. We then get Sting and Vampiro versus Ric Flair and Lex Luger. Pete, did you watch this? This is one outside in the pool, wasn't it? Yeah. What was the finish there? Uh, oh god! Now you've got me. That's all right. Uh, I don't. I don't doubt you for. Uh, I don't blame you for blacking it out. It was 
Sting pile driving Lex Luger in the Gulf of Mexico and getting the one, two, three That's in it. the water. Uh, they went through cake and food, and if you watch Starcade '89 and then you watch this, it, it's two completely different products. Um, and then we learned that after multiple teasing, yes, Vince Russo has agreed to come back and run WCW Creative. These are their words, not mine. In the main event, Hulk Hogan versus The Wall, it's exactly as you would expect, except for, unbelievably, The Wall kicks out of the atomic leg, and the show ends with Hogan dispatching The Wall and posing in the ring. Just on Hogan and The Wall, really quickly to tie this knot up, we talked about The Wall's big rise, we talked about how Hogan's just in the way of everything, and then on this very relevant Nitro to close the show, Hogan effectively dispatches him. Just one sentence on that, please. Just an utter waste of, we spoke about what, five, six weeks of, I said it earlier on, building the wall was my, my joke at the time. Right. To have Hogan just take the bricks and put a hole in it. Should be said that visual was outstanding with the wall standing on top of what truly was a skyscraper with the oh, spotlight. That, that made me feel this- sick. You know, if you watch it, that height, I had like, I'm a bit, I'm a bit not scared of heights, but it looked like quite menacing. If that makes sense, it looked like, wow, this guy's, you know, is he going to get somebody and chuck him off there? You kind of felt that potential. That wasn't, wasn't going to happen. But no, it was a really great, great image. This, I mean, this would have been a perfect build ten years ago. It really would have been a perfect Hogan build ten years ago. You get a guy green as grass, big as a house, build him up, put him over all your mid card heels. And then Hogan beats him, fine. And then, then, then he's Earthquake, and he's Typhoon, and he's Boss Man, and he's got a spot for life. That's not going to happen here for reasons that we'll talk about. Of course, then, Pete, we get to. What did you think when you were watching the show? Not about anything you knew behind the scenes, but what did you think while you were watching the show and the announcers were talking about? First, your personal reactions, and then your reactions as a wrestling fan. Announcing that two people are going to return to run the creative department for a wrestling league and then that those people are eric bischoff and vince russo so from a personal point of view scares the living daylights out of me because there's obviously history there there's a reason why they're not running the show now isn't there clearly um spent a lot of money cost a lot of money lost a lot of money um it does show you how low it's got that they can't think of any difference to go back to those two as the creative. Then you've got the other side that thinks, actually, they've done it before. You know, Vince Russo had some good ideas. Eric Bischoff was part of WCW's most successful run. So they've got some talent. So something is there. But can you trust these two right now with the current you know, the product and the guys you've got in that roster right now is the biggest issue that these two have got. So unless they're going to come in and make some big decisions, scary. But it was quite telling throughout the show with the little interviews with the wrestlers. You know, oh, they just, about, they completely, it was, like, just, it was, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say it was completely disruptive. They were all out of character. The yeah. artist who hasn't spoken in months was just back there in his, in his tank top as if he was just old Prince Ikea from Slamboree. Yeah, they, they asked Big Vito. Like, it was like super the, weird. Yeah. Why would you ask Vito his opinion? What's, you know, is he, is he now suddenly a guy you need to get an opinion from? 
Booker T, they knew it would rile him because of what's happened with his career, probably, with, you know, creative. It was just a bit, I don't know. And the, the commentators didn't seem, I don't know. It wasn't like, you know, this is the greatest moment in the history of our sport, Shivoni, was it? It wasn't that, really. It no. was just, okay. And at the end of the, the show, they've announced that next week there'll be a kind of best of Nitro, didn't they, when we get there? Wait. Sorry, I've jumped ahead. Uh, sorry, I've jumped ahead. No, sorry. No, no, no. You're, you're totally fine. Absolutely. Right. I mean, it, there's no, there's no way to keep track of all this, right? So like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's mental. And like, you're right. Yeah. To to work backwards. Yeah, they're running. Uh, they're going to let Raw effectively run unopposed after Mania, uh, which I think is on the second, if that's a Sunday. Um, yeah. So I think that would be the April third. Nitro is going to. They're going to run a clip show, and they're teasing that's it as right. well. We're going to show you. They're literally saying we're going to show you when our show is good. Uh, because that's what you're going to be getting next. Uh, you know, I, not a Russo fan. I, I understand what Bischoff did, and he caught lightning in a bottle for a minute. Fine. I have a lot of problems with them talking about... It's hard to... How do you explain this? I, I hate to sound like a mark, but like them breaking kayfabe like this, where they're talking about these two guys are going to come back and write your wrestling show. These are the two guys that are going to be responsible for scripting what is going to be on your television in the coming weeks um, versus saying Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo have agreed to return to, to uh, I don't even know how you would say it, to, to, to head up WCW, to, to run WCW. But no, they're going to write the show. And that just, to me, you know, kayfabe is, has been dead for years, but, you know, this is pissing on its grave and then putting more dirt over it. Like, to me, that's what I had problem with. You know, not so much that it's Russo and, and Bischoff, because something obviously needs to change. And and the other thing is, is if this March twenty seventh Nitro is any indication of what's to come, then then God help us. Reports are still trickling in at the time of recording, so we'll be as specific as we can with the timeline as we know it by now, but dates and details are subject to change in the coming months. The month started with Bill Bush in charge of WCW business and Kevin Sullivan plus J.J. Dillon overseeing creative. Earlier in the month, uh, Jerry Jarrett was in Atlanta overseeing a real estate development deal and took the chance to meet with WCW officials. The nature of the visit was said to be anything from a casual meeting with old friends to uh, Bush's pitch to Jarrett to come in as a consultant. Uh, as matters unfolded later in the month, it was looking more likely that Bush had pushed for Jarrett to come in as a consultant. Uh, reports also followed that Jarrett was an advocate for Sullivan, at least to the extent that it wasn't wise to keep changing bookers. Jarrett reportedly advocated for WCW to more aggressively enforce his wrestlers' contracts and pursue breach of contract litigation against the many wrestlers who refused to show up to work. Bill Bush, as Eric Bischoff had before him, reported to Turner executive Brad Siegel. Unbeknownst to Bush, who was pursuing Jarrett and working to get Goldberg, Steiner, and Sting back in the mix full-time, Siegel had been negotiating with Bischoff for a return since January in a creative consultant role. Effectively, Bischoff would replace Sullivan, not Bush. Around the middle of the month, Bischoff agreed to return to WCW as a creative consultant. Reports are that WCW bought out the near million dollars remaining on Bischoff's existing contract 
and then gave him a new contract on top of it. After bringing Bischoff back on board, Siegel proposed also bringing back Vince Russo in a creative position to work with Bischoff. Siegel reportedly thought Bischoff could rein in and round out Russo's ideas, much like Vince McMahon had done in the waning years of the last millennium. We know that by Thursday, March 16, both Bischoff and Russo had agreed to re-enter the WCW fold as a two-headed creative team. On or about that very same day, March 16th, Jerry Jarrett was back in Atlanta with Bush. Bush planned to propose Jarrett coming to WCW in a consulting role to, to Brad Siegel. But that day, or very soon thereafter, Siegel informed Bush that Bischoff and Russo were coming back. Jarrett's services would not be necessary. On the 23rd of the month, WCW confirmed that Bill Bush had resigned his position as, as executive vice president of WCW, replaced, for now, by Siegel himself. However, it's speculated that Bush resigned shortly after learning Siegel had gone over his head to bring back Russo and Bischoff. Bush was almost certainly out before Uncensored on the 19th. Following WCW's official release on the 23rd, Kevin Sullivan was instructed to stay home. He reportedly booked a version of Nitro on the 27th, sent in his papers, and was relieved from duty. Reports indicate that Vince Russo was on the phone with agents in the back at Nitro providing details and rebooking parts of the show on the fly. Anyone who watched the 27th Nitro could immediately tell it wasn't Sullivan booked. In hindsight, it's clear that Russo was. Pete, thoughts on any of this background while I get a drink of water? Where do you start with all of it? It's just to to me, it puts it, like, it puts the first half of the month through uncensored in a completely different context. It does. It really does. It, it shows, and you were commenting it, during the show that it was like no one had actually booked this, no one had actually was in control of this, no one had done the work, no one had done the writing on it. The wrestlers weren't queued up, they weren't prepared. I'm guessing backstage there must have been. You mentioned carnage in the news. It just must have been such an uncertain time when you've got a pay-per-view and you've got Nitro, Thunder, all this stuff to to be out there with storylines that are, are rolling. And then you start people who are, who have been booking this for months to try and get to an end or something, have been told to stay at home. And you've got one guy who is the you know head of creative, as it were, or the executive, whatever he was, then suddenly resigns. You've then got... Russo and Bischoff in the mix. Then Russo's on the phone, you know, calling shots on on Nitro. It just must have been. I mean, the guys must have been. The morale must have been terrible backstage. Or, I guess you got some guys who think actually, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad this is happening. Other guys are getting the push from Sullivan, etc. And now thinking, well, that's me. That's me. my turn. My turn done, and I'm I'm in trouble now. So it must have been. It says a lot that we've just gone through that show, what's been going on and kind of how that show came out and how things have been going. It just says, Oh, doesn't it? You're backstage and you're creative and people who are doing that work. It's just such a mess. So I guess one thing is clear, at least we've now got a clear, it's Bischoff and Russo. They're going to write this show. Yeah. That's going to, that, that's the only positive that they've now come to an end. And we now, I guess 
I'm going to use the word reset. They're going to have to go and literally just go, right, let's end what's happened in March or this, this year so far. And let's almost flip the page, start a blank and let's go again and hope they can write something, they can create something that we can all enjoy. People want to come and see, buy the shows, turn up at the arenas, which is the biggest issue probably they've got as well at times, apart from the UK, God bless us. And that's got to be what they're, <laughs> what, what they're trying to do. But it's, well, it, it did say, oh, if, you, if this wasn't happening, you wouldn't understand why it's been such a such a cluster all the way, isn't it? So it does make a bit of sense now we've, we've gone through that. I think you're correct in one sense in that at least WCW has a direction now. And reports are that Siegel kind of risked his neck to do this move with Turner. And so, you know, Siegel, the big boss, is behind it. And so I think you'll at least see some modicum of stability with WCW now because it has to work with these two. It has to. And so I would anticipate all this kind of hokey-pokey back and forth that we've been dealing with effectively since Bischoff was put out to pasture many months ago. Um, I, I think now we'll at least have some stability. And and ultimately, that's what Jerry Jarrett was going for. He just was re- apparently supporting Sullivan because why have another change? You've already had so many changes. And the other, you know, one question I had, though, Pete, was obviously WCW creative is, is struggling right now and there's a lot of shit going on but there is some good stuff on television you have sit on top he's now a heel but who knows if that'll stick the wall was getting over he lost to hogan but you can stay over after that goldberg's on the way, way back steiner's back stings here nash is presumably coming back and many of the cruiserweights are coming back jeff jarrett's on a little bit of a run right now you know he's getting He's getting reactions when he comes out. We've talked about Booker T. Vampiro is strong. Luger's still over. Like, this is not a bad wrestling roster. Do you think that there's hope now between, you know, kind of closing the door on the Sullivan era, which hasn't worked or he hasn't had the support to do it? We know what Russo and Bischoff can do, and you have a very strong roster. Should we be optimistic for the first time in a year, year and a half for WCW? I think we have to be. And I think we need to be. There's, there's a big issue, though, isn't there? And we know what that big issue is. He wears yellow. And that's the, that's the biggest problem they've got, is that if they could somehow, if this guy can, he needs to either step aside or actually he needs to elevate the future of this company to keep this company going. If he carries on, like you say, 10 years ago, the wall would have been bread and butter. You know, it had been a classic Hogan Hogan matchup, wouldn't it? Built it, pay-per-view finish. But this was a Nitro match when Hogan's left in the ring celebrating and doing his, his usual routine when really the wall should have been probably left in the ring having put Hogan through a table. Then we fade to black. And then that begins. And then Hogan's up against it. But unfortunately, he had to go and just take this new guy and, and, and down. But as you say, it's against Hogan, so he can come back. There are enough chess pieces in this in their in their roster in the building to create a decent show a decent product there's a lot of guys who have been wasted there's a lot coming back you mentioned sort of ddp and steiner you know stings back in there as well um i think we just need to see a little bit less of some of the some of the older guys but how does that work because bischoff was pretty much aligned with hogan that's that's you know his kind of guys and and 
I think Russo maybe has slightly different ideas about who he wants. I mean, Goldberg could be could be vital in coming back, and they see him as a as as maybe the 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 brand they want to go with because the guy was massively over when he proper hit the scene. But we have to. I mean, I'm, I'm dare I say it? I'm looking forward to the next Nitro. So we end without much idea of what comes next. Pete Kimber, thanks for joining us. <laughs> no, Anything thank you, in closing? It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a ride. It certainly has. I think it's obviously a, a new era for WCW show under your, your helm. And what a time to, to land, Eric. So you've got a lot to look forward to, hopefully, in the next couple of months, as you've already said. So I think it's uh, it's an interesting time right now. But for the, for the good of, it sounds really corny, for the good of wrestling, it's got to work, hasn't it? You've got to have competition. You've got to have... You know, competition that's going to make other people raise their game, make them better, is so important. So, you know, here's to here's to this working. But I think we've got that bit of trepidation, which is only natural with the guys we're talking about. So, we're crossing all our fingers and toes. And thank you to Billy Johnson as well, Billy. We'll get you back on the show soon. Uh, sorry, you had to watch uncensored and then not get to talk about it. Um, again, two other <laughs> he did, volumes. He moved on. He moved on. Again, two other volumes this month with WWF in the build to WrestleMania and ECW in the Living Dangerously pay-per-view. This has been your WCW volume for March 2000. I am Eric Landstrom. Find Wrestling 20 Years Ago on Twitter at Wrestling20YRS. And until next time, goodbye.